As always, it is my pleasure that you join me for today's podcast of Second Chance Coaching. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis. If you'd be so kind as to leave me a rating and your feedback, I would very much appreciate it, and it will help others like you to optimally discover this podcast wherever you listen to this and your other favorite podcast. As you know, at Second Chance Coaching, we focus on seeing everyday life through the eyes of the returning citizen and highlighting the resiliency of the human spirit. I would love to work with you one-on-one, whether you're a returning citizen or coaching client seeking your second chance, or you're a representative of a business, college, or university seeking to integrate and support returning citizens in your respective organizational and learning environments. Please feel free to contact me via email at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Welcome back to another episode of Second Chance Coaching. Hope all is well on your side of the world. Everything is going well over here on this side of the world. Um, In my personal life, in my personal and professional circles, there's lots of changes going on in the pipeline. And this past weekend, I just took the time to really re-engineer my priorities and achieve a better balance between work, play, and relaxation. I tell you, the opportunity to recharge my batteries is something I cannot remember that I've done in quite a long time. It's been a really long time since that happened. So I, in doing that, I thought about that, and I wanted to certainly say this as a reminder to everyone that remember that in the midst of all you have to do, just remember to rest and recharge. A lot of us, a lot of us, including myself, will prioritize recharging our cell phones more so than recharging ourselves. So that's something that we definitely have to have to do, definitely recharge ourselves. During the course of this past weekend, I was looking at numerous books I have. I have so many books, more than I care to admit, that I have not even touched or cracked open and read yet. And a lot of that is because I had been in school over the years, writing papers, taking tests, et cetera, and so forth all that stuff that takes away from it. And I just never had a chance to really get into the books that were so interesting. I bought them and I said, okay, I'm going to read them, but I just never read them. And I always said there'll be time, but I never took the time to read those books. And one of the books that I was especially drawn to read this weekend is a book called The Leadership Lessons of the Navy Seals. And that was written by Jeff and John Cannon. This book was written in 2003. And to let you know how long I've had it, I've actually had it since 2012 and never had the chance to really read it until this past weekend. Now, many of us, or maybe not many of us, have really have heard the the term Navy SEALs. But for the purposes of defining it, so we're on the same page, the United States Navy SEALs, otherwise known as the Navy's sea, air, and land teams, are the Navy's primary special operations force that conducts missions in various environments, such as maritime environments, jungle, Arctic, and and deserts. This is a unit that concentrates on high-level targets and highly sensitive intelligence. Now, one who is trained with such skill sets, I would imagine their leadership lessons would be in the least very intriguing and certainly optimally highly insightful in this book. 
Now, The Leadership Lessons of Navy SEALs is a pretty good book and it's a pretty fluid and easy read as every lesson is broken down by the explanation of the mission and the takeaway from that mission or that lesson. Now, in the next two weeks on the podcast, I'll share two lessons that stood out to me that I wanted to share with all of you on the podcast. In the book, when you read it, all the lessons are great. But I like these two in particular for me to to want to share with you. And this week's lesson that I want to highlight will be a lesson they talked about to don't wait for the no risk solution. The mission that was described in the book was the planning of a rescue mission on a hijacked vessel that had numerous hostages. The Navy SEALs discussed how there was no way to plan a completely risk-free operation due to way too many variables, way too many unknowns, and ultimately way too many bad guys in the way. And really the key for them, according to them, was really to produce the best solution in the rescue effort in the time in which they had available. And that's a lesson which they say that we should take. We're not going to have a risk-free situation or a risk-free solution. So we need to find the best available option in the time that we have available. Their takeaway was really that one of the most common errors that all of us continue to make is that we really have analysis by paralysis. We overanalyze information. We go over something over and over again. And then at the end of the day, time doesn't really permit us all the time to have the opportunity to have that overanalyzing stuff go on and on and on. I don't know about you, but I've certainly have talked myself out of numerous things due to overanalyzing and having that analysis of paralysis. I've overanalyzed so much and overthought myself where I've just talked myself mentally out of different situations. Now, these situations, I don't want to compare them to the high-pressure situation of a U.S. Navy SEAL. They were nowhere near that particular situation, but the concepts were pretty much the same. Whether I overanalyzed and talked myself out of not buying a house or not taking a job opportunity, passing on a business opportunity, not going to a networking event, so many different things that I could count. I mean, there's a lot of things that I definitely passed on. And the U.S. Navy SEALs advise that waiting for the sure thing is is really a futile situation because it's something that'll never come. Because that perfect moment, that optimal moment will never be realized. They say it doesn't mean that you just dive into a situation recklessly or aimlessly or just say, okay, I'm just going to get into it without even thinking about it. But when we look to see and try to find the 100% no-risk solution, it just won't come. And if you really think about it, they talk about that it's really almost a nice way to avoid commitment because guess what? You're saying, hey, I don't want to do it because I'm still thinking about it. I'm still pondering it or I'm waiting for the right time or I'm not really sure. And those things those things really do happen. We, we talk ourselves into that. And I certainly have, I have talked myself into that. When it was time to pursue my doctorate, when I was thinking about, when not, it wasn't time to pursue the doctorate, but when I was thinking about pursuing my doctorate, I was really nervous about the dissertation process, the high level of academic rigor in the classes. And really the biggest thing that has made me hesitate about going into it was that in the higher, in the education industry, especially in higher education, there's lots of people who are ABD. And ABD stands for all but dissertation. So you've done all the classes, all the work, everything you've done, 
The only thing you haven't done is the dissertation. So hence the acronym ABD. I saw a lot of colleagues that were in ABD status that they would never finish the dissertation. They'd get frustrated or don't have the discipline or they let things get in the way and not get it done. And then over the years, they would eventually start to say, well, getting the doctorate wasn't really that important. Maybe I don't need a doctorate to move up in my job or, you know, different things they would say. But then for me, I didn't make any judgments. I mean, because at that time I was like, well, I can't, I'm not even getting into a program. So the last thing I'm going to do is judge someone for not finishing it. But I could see colleagues that were in that situation. They were embarrassed by not finishing or they might have felt embarrassed or maybe they felt embarrassed by not finishing in front of other colleagues or they probably felt they were being embarrassed by colleagues by not finishing. When I thought about whether or not I wanted to get the doctorate and I saw that there were there were colleagues who did have the doctorate and they saw how proud they were and rightly so proud that they finished it. I was looking for that risk-free solution. I was looking for that magic formula, that perfect way to finish the doctorate without having to go through the angst and the nervousness of classes and the dissertation and institutional review boards. I didn't want to go through all of that. But I also knew that I didn't want to be in ABD status. I did not want to feel in, I didn't want to start a program and then feeling complete. I didn't want to go through that. So when I was going through the process of thinking about whether or not I should start the program, I had numerous dinners and coffees and breakfasts with, with, different, with different educational doctors, different uh, former professors and mentors and colleagues. All of them, what they had in common is they had the doctorate. And I, wanted, and I just was trying to get into their head as far as really talking to them about the dynamics of getting a doctorate as far as what it meant for them. At the only time, the closest thing I had seen to someone finishing a doctorate was my ex-girlfriend. She was working on her doctorate when we were together many years ago. The way she was going through it and the way she complained about it, it definitely did not make me want to go through that process myself. So I wanted to ask others what their experiences was, and I wanted to know how that worked for them. And I got into when I got into the program, when I finally had those conversations and I get, did get into the program, I got into the program not because the risk all of a sudden became a no risk situation or I was no longer afraid of of the processes or no longer afraid of feeling incomplete. None of that went away. But through those numerous breakfasts and dinners and, uh, and coffees and things of that nature, a lot of them just spoke confidence in me and my ability to get the job done. To say, hey, you could get into the program. It won't be easy, but it's something that you could do. A lot of people have done it. Now, one of the things I also also said too at the time, I said, oh my goodness, I'm I'm 42 years old. It's a little too old for me to get a doctorate. By the time I finish at earliest, I'll be 45. And I remember they said to me, well, look at look at this, look at it this way. You're 42 now. If you're still living three years from now, you'll still be 45, whether you have a doctorate or not. I said, oh point. Good point. Absolutely. Now I got into the program and certainly the classes were not easy. The rigor was hard. There was a lot of writing, a lot of things to be done, but I found it to be manageable. It wasn't something that was impossible. And the journey wasn't easy either. You know, everyone says, oh, you have to wait for the perfect time and all this other stuff. And there's never a perfect time to start. There's always going to be something that gets in the way. During the course of the doctorate, I lost I lost my son to Nandi during the during the program. 
there was always those challenges that came up, different challenges that came up, not as big as losing him, but they did come up. But I still persevered and and I didn't do it by myself. I did it with a lot of love and support with a lot of family. And I'm glad I did it. Um, as I went through the program, it built my confidence and built my determination to know that this is something I could do. And, and I was glad that I graduated and I graduated in three years. Not only was I glad that I graduated, I was glad because my mother was able to see me graduate and get hooded and get my doctorate, not knowing that my mother would be gone and transition herself in just 10 months, 10 short months from that time. There's no, there's no, there's no, no risk solution, but the reward was great. Not so much of me graduating, but I was more happy that my mom got to see me graduate. So I was really happy about that. The no risk dynamic also happens in the reentry journey as well. When you're when you're away and you're thinking about when you could get out, whether you're going to max out your time or whether you're going to be released early on parole. A lot of people talk amongst each other, even though they think about loving freedom and wanting to be free and wanting to go home. They always talk about that parole was a was a risk because it was a design to be violated because they talked about the corruption in the criminal justice system, the corruption of parole officers and things of that nature. And, and I'm not discounting anything that they're saying as untrue or probably not true. But I remember that I wanted to sit there and go home early. I wanted to sit there and get parole and be home because my focus was on my family and my freedom. It was not a no risk situation. I knew that. And I, and I knew what I was going to get myself into in the responsibilities of being on supervised release, but I knew what my focus was. And my focus was to be successful in life and successful in concentrating on family and freedom. And I, and I was able to achieve that. And I certainly don't say that because it was because of me, but because of the love I had around me and the love that was spoken into me and the strength that was, that was sustained within me and people just lifting me up and helping me do better and be better. Now, whether you're talking about going to school or the reentry journey or whatever it is that you have going on in life, life is not without its risk. We wake up every single day taking a risk. Some of them, some of them are big risks, some of them are medium risks, some of them are large risks. And we take those risks because we know the winning is so worth whatever the risk is at the end of the day. The winning, whether it be getting that degree successfully completing parole, just getting that new job, getting new opportunities, buying that house, whatever it is that you chose to do, it is just so worth it in the end. So once again, I definitely recommend the book, The Leadership Lessons of Navy SEALs. It's a great read, fluid read, got some great lessons that you really could think about that people who've put their lives on the line for, the, for each other and for our country and to see how they have broken down broken those down into great fundamental lessons of leadership that we could share. It's such an enjoyable book. And certainly I love to look forward to using and having another lesson to share with you guys next time. But in the meantime, continue striving to do your best and continue, continue striving to be your best and read that book. You'll enjoy it, but strive to do your best, strive to be your best. And I look forward to sharing next week's lesson with you. Thank you again. Thank you again for joining us here at Second Chance Coaching. 
In addition to coaching services for individuals and businesses, I'm also available for speaking engagements and workshops on criminal justice reentry, human resources, as well as organizational culture and leadership. Feel free to email me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com, as well as connect with me on Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Remember, every day you are given this opportunity for your second chance, and I know you'll make the best of it. I love you all, and I look forward to connecting with you next time here at Second Chance Coaching.